Father, we come before you this morning. We want to thank you for your goodness and grace to us. We ask that you would help us as we examine your word. Lord, that you would teach us to grow in grace and that we would grow up into Jesus Christ. Lord, that you would be able to use us in your service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dismissed to the Children and Toddlers Church at this time. The rest of us, let's turn our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And of course, the Lord does speak, and the way you can know His voice and to know that the Lord is speaking is because it is written down. Can we say amen to that? Uh, please do not uh, try to tune in to the voices that are there. The world is full of voices. And the only thing that God has given us by wherewith we can know that it is truly God speaking is the written Word of God. And uh, uh, last week, as we are trying to follow through this theme here, this overall idea of the year to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that speaking the truth in love, may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, talking about Jesus Christ. Uh, we started last week on the milk of the Word. There are uh, three basic places in the New Testament where uh, it is spoken of, of, of the milk of the Word. Last week we were in First Peter chapter 2 where it says, Desire ye the sincere milk of the Word that ye may grow thereby. And we looked at some of those characteristics. If you're actually doing that, if you're actually receiving that sincere milk of the world word, uh, you are going to abstain from fleshly lust. You're going to have a good conversation, an honest life. Uh, the Bible says that we're going to live as free men. That word freedom is a word that is bandied about by people today, and usually their definition of freedom is, as long as I get to do what I want. Uh, I want to challenge you, that's, that's not freedom, never has been, and, and never will be. Uh, I guess my favorite example of that is your freedom to stretch your arms ends where my nose begins. Amen? Uh, we, we need to understand that we can enjoy freedom... But freedom that hurts and hinders others or freedom at the expense of others is not freedom at all. Uh, this is the great lie of the... I uh, uh, want to be careful not to go too far afield here, but of uh, Plato's Republic, you have the workers who give the citizens freedom. Uh, now, in America, the workers are free. All the citizens have freedom. That freedom comes from living unto God instead of unto men. That's, that's the characteristics of the milk of the Word. Those are the simple things of the Word. If we will get these and imbibe them and grow in this way, we're going to understand one thing. We're going to come to one conclusion at best. We're wayward sheep that have returned to the shepherd of our souls. At best, we're sheep that have gone astray. And now we've come back. You see, this whole idea of growing and getting strong, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let's 
Just start reading here in verse 1 of chapter 3 of the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul is speaking here, and and I do want you to understand he is not speaking in a conciliatory tone here. He's not being nice. Uh, he is rebuking them. And, and he says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk, and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. Uh, Paul is not happy here with the Corinthians. He, he's telling them, listen, the only thing I can give you is milk. Now, uh, it used to be uh, that if you got an ulcer or any type of digestive issue, what was the first thing that they would do? Uh, give you a cup of half and half to drink. <laughs> oh, cholesterol. Well, I mean, that's uh, used to be the treatment uh, because those dairy products would drown out the acid in your stomach and make things a little easier. And then they found out that it caused other problems. And, uh, and uh, now they give you all kinds of pills which cause other problems. I, I think I'll go back to the half and half. How about you? Uh, tastes better anyway. Uh, but... The, uh, the point being is, Paul said, listen, I, I can't speak unto you as spiritual. I, I, can't, I cannot deal with you as spiritually mature. I have to deal with you as carnal or worldly Christians, even as babes in Christ, even as newborn Christians, you should know better than what you are doing. And so that uh, begs the question, what does it actually mean to be spiritual? What, what should a spiritual Christian mean? We looked at the characteristics, and, and today what we're going to try to do is look at the work of the spiritual Christian. But there's an attitude, I guess, for lack of a better term, a a heart direction that must be in place for this to work. And if we'll skip down to the end of the chapter here, and let's just start in verse 16 and read through the end of the chapter. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours." whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours, and ye are Christ, and Christ is God's. Now, we read those verses, and if you're familiar at all with the Bible, uh, that shouldn't be anything new to anybody here. But, Let's, let's go back to verse 16, just work our way through this thing. He says, know ye not? And then, uh, 
In verse 18, it says, let no man deceive himself. And then we get down to verse 19. It is written, and it is written again in verse 20. Verse 21, therefore let no man glory in men. And verse 23, it is all of God. Now, people have made a lot of these verses that aren't in there. And what we're going to try to do is just keep everything in its context here. What we're talking about is if you want to be a spiritual Christian, if you want to be spiritually mature, you need to understand a few things. You see, he says, ye are the temple of God. And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now, people have tried to make this say different things. Uh, He is using the plural here. He's talking about the Corinthians as a church, that they are come together as individuals. This is what it means to be the body of Christ. The word temple is the place where worship happened. Uh, That's why we sang the songs we sang this morning. Uh, who is the solid rock? Well, Jesus is. Amen. And uh, we, we were saved because of what Jesus did at Calvary. And we, we sing these songs about the blood because we want to worship God. That's one of the reasons why we do not want contemporary and worldly-based music and thoughts uh, someone coined the phrase a few years ago, it's a 7-Eleven song. Uh, that's where you say seven words 11 times and hope God likes it. Uh, and uh, that, that kind of music is from the world. How many of you remember the, the 60s and 70s? Nobody knew how to end a song. So they would just take the tag and sing it over and over again as the guy in the recording studio turned the volume down and they faded into oblivion because no one knew how to put an end on a song. Uh, it's really, really pathetic when we take that kind of foolishness and bring it into a church and say, God, would you like this? I'll tell you what, he doesn't. He doesn't want it. What he wants is something real. Something from our heart to his. Something that is distinctively His. I mean, how would you like to get an engagement ring that was used? And we're, we're not talking about His mother, all right? Uh, that, that, that just wouldn't be a very positive thing. Now, would it? If we wouldn't like things like that, why would we offer God something like that? We want God to have what is deserving of Him. And we need to understand something that if we fail in our worship to God, we fail in everything we do as a church. And it's not hard to defile that temple. It's not hard to impinge upon God's holiness because God is perfect in His holiness and we are not. And we come to this uh, uh, next verse here, and in verse 18, it says, Let no man deceive himself. 
Uh, I'll tell you, as a pastor, uh, I can usually help people understand uh, the deception of false teachers. Uh, I mean, there uh, you uh, have the uh, friendly neighborhood Mormons walking around and and uh, oh, they're such nice guys. It's the family church, and shouldn't the church be about families? And no, the church should be about Jesus Christ. But just so you understand, the divorce rate in the Mormon faith is about twice that outside the Mormon faith. Uh, it, it is not the family church. Uh, and, and in fact, there are a lot of things in there. And, and if someone wants to really understand, said, uh, do you think Jesus and the devil are brothers? Because that's what Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and the Mormon faith teaches. Same father, different mothers, just like uh, dysfunctional families of our day and time where we have all kinds of brothers and sisters that really aren't brothers and sisters. Uh, that's not God. In fact, that shouldn't even be man, now should it? And so, it's not hard, uh, as hard to show the deception uh, that is out there that, that is taught by false religionists. I don't know how many people I've met. I'm a Catholic. I said, do you believe in the Pope? No. Do you go to confession? No. I said, why don't you go tell your priest about those things and see how well he treats you. Uh, uh, if you really want to be honest to your faith, be honest to your faith. It's not hard. But when someone is self-deceived, I, I will tell you as a pastor, there are many times that only... God himself can break that chain. Self-deception is a choice. And I'll tell you, many people make it willingly. They embrace it because the alternative to self-deception is often not very nice. It's called honesty. You see, we all like to think that we're, at least in some measure, wise. Do we not? I mean, have you ever met someone who says, oh, I'm just stupid and I can't do anything about it? I mean, there are some people like that out there. But that's not who we are. We don't want to be like that. We all want to think ourselves some measure, but here's what the Bible says. If you want to understand the true marks of spirituality, it says, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. I don't know how many people over the years I've argued with, but God gave us a brain to think. Yeah, he did. And that brain, if it thinks and it works, is going to embrace the wisdom that's in these words and reject the wisdom that's in the reflection in the mirror. You see, if you want to be spiritual, you've got to understand something. You don't have the answers. God does. How did you get saved? If you're born again the Bible way today, if you're truly saved, you got saved by saying, 
I can't save myself. The confession in Romans chapter 10, verse 10 is, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, what? The Lord Jesus. Now, we've got to be careful. We've got nuts on all sides of the problem. But thee means the only one. Lord means it's his wisdom, it's his answers, it's his authority, not mine. Jesus means it's his saving me, not me helping him. Salvation is God's work. When I got saved, I stopped trying to save myself. And Jesus saved me all the way. Amen? And when I put away the wisdom of this world, the foolishness that is in this world that is called wisdom, have you ever, I mean, you read this verse, it says, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. How many people have you met trying to explain? I mean, we, what was that fellow that just died? Hawkins or something like Stephen Hawking's? I mean, he's supposed to be the smartest man in the world and he's answering all the problems. And some of you remember old Carl Sagan, billions and billions and billions of stars and and, uh, all these foolish people out there. What answers did they have? When I was a little kid, I remember seeing the book in my house, Dr. Spock, How to Raise Children. He wrote that book before he had any of his own. After he got a couple of his own, he rescinded everything that was in that book because it didn't work. It doesn't work. And if you want to see how bad it is, just look at Congress. It's a resp- it is a result uh, of Dr. Spock's book, a bunch of petulant children fighting each other because they were never told to grow up. They were always told they were right. And that they have the, they're the smartest people in the room. The most hurtful thing you can do to a child is just simply sit back and say, you're right, you're right, you're right. Let me help you. What children need to understand is you're wrong and you can't figure it out on your own. That's why there are books out there. Read the books. Learn how to add two plus two. And get four every time. Because if you get anything else, you've done something wrong. And see, when we take the wisdom, and when we allow the wisdom of this world to taint our understanding of God, we're going to end up in that self-deceived mode. And that is not the earmark of a spiritual Christian. If I were to ask you, how many of you have all the answers of life? Now, pastor, who would be that arrogant? Well, I will. Right here they are. Isn't that true? Amen? Aren't, isn't every answer to life in this book? You don't sound very convinced. You know why? Because we're still struggling to get through life, aren't we? And here's what we're struggling against. We're struggling against what goes on up here. To tell ourselves no and to say yes to the Word of God. 
Now look what it says. The Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men. Now, we need to put that in the context. And we're going to go back in just a moment here and, and pick up the beginning of this chapter where in the, book, in the church at Corinth, uh, they were glorying in men. They were talking about, I'm of Apollos and I'm of Paul and I'm of Cephas and, and, and the pious gas bags. We're of Jesus. And, and the simple truth was they were all liars. They were all deceiving themselves And Paul is saying, listen, don't glory in men, for all things are yours. Do you remember what Jesus said? It is the Father's will, it is the Father's good will to give unto you what? The kingdom. Read in Revelation, it says, thou hast made us kings and priests. Can you imagine what it's going to be treading the streets of gold in the new Jerusalem with authority as a king and a priest unto the God of gods, the creator of the universe. I mean, what won't people do to get a little bit of authority and elevate themselves a little bit above their fellow man today? I mean, oh... Uh, the craziness that is in our world is, is just without end. But it says here, all things are yours. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Paul is trying to help us to stop looking at others. And then he goes, for whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. Why are we so wrapped up in trying to get that which we cannot keep at the very moment we are losing the only thing that counts for all eternity? That's not very wise now, is it? It says, and ye are Christ, and Christ is God's. It's not about you. It's all about God. If you have wisdom, the first thing that you're going to do is say, I don't have very much wisdom, but God does. And I'm going to trust Him instead of me. And so let's go back and try to pick up this context here. Paul is condemning the Corinthian church for being carnal. Verse 3 he says, for year, yet carnal, worldly, the same base word carnival comes from. It says, for where is there is among you, and being in strife and divisions, are ye not carnal, and walk as men? While one saith, I am Paul, another, I am Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers? By whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. 
Now, did you get what Paul's saying here? He says, in the church here, you're dividing yourselves up into little groups and you're fighting with each other over names. And you have to understand something. Paul and Apollos are ministers. There are people today, if you're not careful, and and here's one of their catchwords. They'll talk about the gospel of Peter and the gospel of Paul as being two different things. Uh, The gospel of Peter was believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, whom ye have crucified to the Jewish people. And the gospel of Paul was believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was crucified, risen again to the Gentile. Is there any difference in the message? I want to challenge you, there is not. Uh, Peter primarily taught to the Jewish people. Paul taught to the Gentile world. But they all get the exact same salvation. We have a God that is not a respecter of persons. In fact, uh, he here tells us he counts the wisdom of man as foolishness. And we need to make that same decision. It says here that, uh, that uh, I'm sorry, it says, So neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth. Paul says in verse 7, uh, that the work of men, there is no difference. And then in verse 8 he says, He that planteth and he that watereth are one. Now, what he's simply saying here is, they are doing the work of the ministry. Each person has his part, but the only one that matters is God. As the pastor of this church from before there was an open door Bible Baptist church, I have endeavored to keep uh, the personalities, good, bad, or indifferent, not involved in our church. Uh, there are just certain churches that get wrapped up in a, a personality. Uh, I knew a, 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 a church, uh, they called themselves that, and they would sit down and watch videotaped sermons of a man that didn't even live in the same state because he was the greatest preacher that ever lived instead of just simply opening up the Bible, and preaching the Word. I don't claim to be the greatest preacher. That's not the goal. The goal is to open up the Word of God on a weekly basis in our regular services. Why? So we can grow in grace and we can grow in knowledge. So that when we do grow, we're going to be confined to the image and the dimensions of Jesus Christ in our growth, that our growth would not be abnormal, that it would be according to the Scriptures. You see, the the job of the preacher and the preachers is not what is important. It is God that's important. Yet, in the end of verse 8, it says, And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now, this is one of the most amazing things in the whole Bible. We get saved due to 
the gift of God, which is eternal life. You do not earn it. You cannot earn it. It is given to you by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That's, that's why it says it is finished up there. Because we want everyone that comes into this building, everyone that hears a sermon here to understand the work of salvation belongs to Jesus and it was finished on the cross of Calvary. And it was sealed as he sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat in heaven. And never again will Jesus suffer and die. Never again will Jesus shed his blood. What he did was good enough for everyone in all time to be saved. You read Hebrews chapter 6. The reason that difficult chapter is there is because people will spend their whole life trying to get saved. In fact, you go to some churches and they make it a little easier. You can get saved and if you mess up, you lose it and you can get it again. And and you can get on this endless merry-go-round of losing and regaining your salvation. The Bible says that salvation is wholly the work of God. That's why you can't lose your salvation once you have it, because you didn't earn it. Amen? Can we say amen to that? Yet, here it says, every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. The end of verse 8. Do you realize that there is work that I can do? There is a service for the Lord for each one of us. And it says here in verse 9, and we used this as a theme verse several years ago, for we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. So Paul uses two examples here. Husbandry is agriculture. Building is architecture. And I've often liked to ask those that believe in evolution. I said, so you're going to say, uh, you would agree with me that this building did not get here by accident. I mean, we had a brick truck going this way and a cement truck going this way. And they had a wreck. And there was so much heat that the stained glass just appeared uh, all in order, all on its own. And the electrical wiring just happened to fall into place. And everything happened by accident. I said, that'd be foolish. And yet, the human body that is infinitely more complex than the weed that grows in the sidewalk, let alone compared to a building of brick and mortar that can be put up by man, got here by accident. There's there's some real problems there. In fact, we would go back to the beginning uh, and say, in order to believe that, you must choose to be self-deceived. God has a purpose. God has a plan. In verse 10, what's it say? According to the grace of God, which is given unto me. So, We need to understand the work belongs to God. The grace belongs to God. The building belongs to God. The foundation, verse 11, is God. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is 
Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I want you to be careful how you build upon that foundation. You have a choice of building materials. You have that which is eternity, eternal in its scope. Gold, silver, and precious stones. You have that which is worthy, which is uh, befitting God. You have that which is unworthy. Wood, hay, and stubble. And whether you want to believe it or not, whether you want to choose to receive it or not, you are building, even this day, right here in this auditorium. We are building with what we do and the choices we make. If we want to think of ourselves as having uh, some ability and wisdom, uh, I, I like to work with wood. Uh, because you take an, a piece of wood and you cut it up and you start sanding and all of a sudden the grain starts coming through. And then you put a little stain on there. If you do it right, you you, you get the stain to accent the grain of the wood and... I mean, uh, there there's some wood. Most of the wood in this auditorium is just simple oak. Uh, but uh, you get working in some of the uh, more exotic grains of types of wood, and you'll get some grain there that, I mean, you could just sit there and stare at a piece of wood for an hour, just following those little lines in there and all the intricate beauty that is there. But who built, who made the wood? wasn't the craftsman. It was God who created the tree, wasn't it? Could we not put the glory where it is? And here, it tells us that we're to work. We're to lay upon that foundation. How, how do we build upon Jesus Christ? Well, the greatest way is to help somebody else get saved. Help someone else learn how to serve in the church. Remember, the church is his body. We're to function together as independent parts, yet working together to make one body. And uh, without being further tedious, we're going to move on to verse 13 here. It says, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Then we go into where we started this morning, the standard of spirituality, what true spirituality is. And so we have to understand that God is not playing games here. God is not uh, giving us uh, 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 preliminary tests and quizzes. We're living life. This is the test. And what we are supposed to do as we walk through this life is we have a choice. Can we do something... That will help someone else understand what it means to live for Christ. Gold, silver, and precious stones. Or are we going to do something 
that helps people understand about us. Wood, hay, and stubble. And I'll be the first to tell you, wood, you can do some beautiful things with wood. Uh, If it weren't for wood, there wouldn't be much of a building over at Union Baptist Church. Uh, We've replaced most of it. Uh, Not most of it, I should say. We've replaced a lot of it, but praise the Lord. But wood is not what God's looking for. Wood is the best that we can do. Hay is what you grab and just throw in the place. I don't even know how you would describe stubble. You see, what we're trying to discern this morning, what we're trying to understand from the Word of God, all of us would like to look in the mirror and see wisdom, maturity, good works. We all want to see that. But if that's what we see, I have to tell you as your pastor, you are deceived. In fact, you have the most dangerous type of deception that is out there. It's self-deception. Because what we really ought to see is a lack of works, a lack of wisdom, and an inability to please and serve God. Because when we see those things, then we can easily understand it's not about me, it's not about you, it's not about some great preacher, it's not about some great accomplishment, it's all about Jesus Christ. And the work that I am to do, I am to help people See Jesus. If, if you could learn something this morning, you do not have what it takes to get to heaven. That's the first lesson. If you'll learn that, it will help you understand that Jesus has already done it all so that you can be saved. Then you can get saved. Once you get saved, then you can get baptized. Amen? And once you get baptized, you can begin that process of serving in the church. But you have to find out something. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about serving Him His way. It's about helping others understand how good God is. Salvation is a surrender of everything we have. But oftentimes, when a person comes to salvation, their first step is to pick up the pieces and try to move on serving God. It doesn't work that way. What you had before you were saved is not gonna, did not help you get saved. How, how, how many times over the course of, of ministry here in this city, I've talked to someone and they said, Oh, thank you. I never heard how to get saved before. Well, will I see you at church next week? Oh, no, I'm going back to my church. I like this church, but I'm going back to mine. I said, you've been there how long? 
Oh, my whole life. And you never heard how to get saved. No, they don't teach that there. And I'm so glad I came here and heard it, but I'm going back. I don't get that. I don't understand that kind of thinking. But far more dangerous. Oh, thank you. I know what I I know what it means to be saved. Now you know I have a lot of special gifts that I can use in the church. Oh, wait a minute. Babies don't have special gifts. They just cry. And they get their diapers changed. And they have to grow. But don't you understand, when I grow, I'm going to have special gifts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how many of you said, I'm going to be a fire truck when I grow up, right? How many of you had plans to try out for NASA to fly the space shuttle? Um, I remember one of my sons said, I'm going to be an astronaut. So we went to an amusement park and I put him on one of those things that went like this. Uh, I'm not going to be anything but sick. Um, no, that's the first step. Mean father I am. You see, there, there's work to do. There's rewards to be earned. And God is going to pass out those rewards on an individual basis. But we have to understand something. We can deceive ourselves. It's not because of you. It's not because of me. We don't work for God because of who we are. We do not get to determine what our part in the body is going to be. You have to remember, He's already ceded to us the kingdom. Everything is ours, joint heirs with Jesus. I often like, what more do you want? Well, I just want to live a good life. Okay, if you want to live a good and happy life, how about letting... Jesus define those words instead of you telling Jesus what they mean. Could we say amen to that? See, that's the difference between carnal and spiritual. Spiritual. I'm a wayward sheep returned to the shepherd of my soul. Carnal. Wow. I'm ready to work. How can you use me in your service? Spiritual. The wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. I belong to Jesus. How do you want me to serve, Lord? And oftentimes, it's not exciting. You see... The place of worship, the temple, is the cumulative work that we bring together as a church to make one song of praise to the God who loved us and gave himself for us. If I can end with this illustration, the best Orchestra members are usually not the best soloists. Someone who can play their instrument 
with uh, volume and vigor and it, what it takes to stand on the platform alone and, and, and to perform and enthrall the audience when it's put in the context of an orchestra doesn't work out too well most of the time. The greatest orchestra member makes the other members sound better. How many of you have ever heard a solo bassoon? How many of you even know what a bassoon is? It's a bass oboe. So, oh, what's an oboe? An oboe is a clarinet that clacks like a duck, all right? And the bassoon is the bass oboe. And uh, if you remember Peter and the wolf, the bassoon is the wolf, I believe. And uh, the whole thing is, there's nothing glorious about a solo bassoon. I mean, it just, okay, enough of that. But yet, in the orchestra, it brings out the fullness of the sound and it makes the other instruments fill in all of their parts to give one glorious sound. And God wants us to operate. Not as an orchestra, but as a body. How much closer do the parts of your body have to be to operate? They've got to be connected. That's what local church is about. Amen? It is the physical connection that we share as saints of God. And we serve God together because what we're trying to accomplish is worship. My, my goal as a pastor, I hope and pray your goal as a member of this church, is that when people come in, they will understand one thing is going on here. That we are, as a church, as a pastor, we are devoted to the God of this book. We want to learn what he said. We want to do what he said. We want to work together to live the words of the Bible. And none of us are perfect. None of us have what it takes. But Jesus does. And if we'll get close enough to him, he'll give us what we need to serve him through this coming week. To build on that foundation what is worthy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to help others know a little bit what is faith? Knowing God is and knowing that He is good. That's our message. And it doesn't take a lot of brains to figure that out. Otherwise, we'd all be in trouble. Now, wouldn't we? What it takes is a submission of our will to God's. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We ask that you would open our eyes to honestly look and understand what's going on around us. Lord, that you would give us grace to peel away the layers of deception and self-deception. 
Lord, that we would not, as the Corinthians did, compare themselves among men or to men. But Lord, that we would understand that everything is ours. That we belong to Christ. And that Jesus is the Son of God and God the Son. Lord, that together we would strive and we would labor to build upon that foundation which is Jesus Christ, the gold and the silver and the precious stones that will last through all eternity. Lord, that we would not be standing empty-handed before the throne of God, but we would have crowns to cast at your feet. That our labor would not be in vain, but it would be that which the Lord directs. We ask you to work in each heart and life here today, Lord, that we may glorify thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.